Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello, this is Margaret, and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Today, I am talking to Helena Andrews Dyer, an award-winning culture reporter for The Washington Post. Her first book... Bitch is the New Black was optioned by Shonda Rhimes as a feature film. Her latest book, The Mamas, What I Learned About Kids, Class, and Race from Moms Not Like Me is out now. Helena lives with her family in Washington, D.C. Helena, welcome to the What Fresh Hell podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. The first thing I want to say about, first of all, I loved this book, but the first thing I want to say about this book is that it's really, really funny. And (laughs) we kind of pride ourselves on the podcast of like funny with a takeaway and research. And that's exactly the lane that this book kind of lives in. And I feel sometimes, especially maybe talking about race, that it's like, okay, time to stop being funny. We've got something serious to discuss. And this book really maintains a sense of humor throughout, which I think our audience will really, really appreciate. This book is a memoir, and but it's a memoir that brings in research and deals with a lot of larger cultural issues. And so let's start kind of where the book starts, which is your experience as the only non-white mom in a mom's group. Take us to that and how you you started on this story? Well, the only black mom. And so when I became pregnant with our first daughter, I have two little girls who are now five and three. And the first thing a coworker of mine said was, oh, are you on the Facebook group? Have you joined the Facebook group? And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm not familiar (laughs) with this life. And I joined this Facebook group because I am a person who has to know all the things. You know, I'm a journalist, I'm a memoirist, but also a journalist. (laughs) You're what we call an Amy on the podcast. (laughs) You know, just, I have to know all the information. I love that. That Amy's our researcher. I'm the wing it mom, you know, but Amy (laughs) is like, nope, I'm going to figure it out and get it right. Well, see, I like... I'm a mix of both because I like all the research and then it obviously immediately goes out of my head and then I'm just winging it anyway. But like, I like to feel as if I'm doing, I'm making these choices based on something. Right. So anyway, I joined this group and it's like blindingly white, right? I'm not the only person of color, but there are very, very few of us. And what that signaled to me at the time was that, you know, I'm just as nutty as all these women, right? I'm thinking about doing cloth diapers, even though I know full well I'm not going to do cloth diapers. You know, I'm reading all the Emily Oyster books. Like, I'm Oscar, I'm doing like <laughs> all that stuff, but I don't see me reflected. So immediately I think I was well, like, is this for me? You know, is that brand of motherhood for me? Even though I know I have black friends, I have black friends who are mothers who I know 
are engaging in this type of mothering, but I didn't see them reflected in my immediate neighborhood. Right. And so that just got me to thinking on this journey of like what motherhood looks like, what mainstream motherhood looks like, who belongs, who doesn't. And like you say, there's larger themes in the book about gentrification, about class, about race, all of this stuff sort of like smushed together in this one Facebook group, which often happens if anybody is on is in any of these parenting groups online, it is, they are a hotbed, you know, they are a hothouse of so many of these issues. And it's interesting because I think that we can sit back, perhaps especially white moms, and see motherhood as this universal experience, that that that's kind of our lens of like motherhood is an experience that is the same for everyone. Right. But you explore that and you kind of really get into it in the book that that's actually not your experience. And in talking about joining this motherhood group, where do you first see those kind of issues coming to the fore? I think for me, obviously, like looking at it and being like, okay, perhaps not for me. But on our first sort of tour of duty, because we were all privileged to have these lengthy maternity leaves and when I finally decided to just like go, right? For the longest, I was like this weird lurker looking at all the stuff, you know, the free for porch pickups, (laughs) like being just such a nut, so creepy. And finally, I like get out of my house and go to like a meetup. (laughs) Definitely not creepy though. I I am a perma lurker. I want to say I never (laughs) join anything where I have to deal with actual humans. So like support for the lurker. Yes, definitely. I'm a lurker, right? It was very creepy. I'm just like watching what these women do, making fun of it. And of course, my husband's like, you know, you just want to go to one of the meetups, like just go girl. So I go. And what was interesting about that piece of it, that part of it at that time was that I did learn that I had like a lot of things in common, right? Like, and they became my friends. And it became this moment of me sort of moonlighting, I say in the book as a mother without cares, you know, we didn't have these deeper conversations at all. But that all changed obviously, when the world did not change, but the world sort of started to show it slip, right? And the pandemic happened, George Floyd is murdered. And suddenly our conversations not only became deeper, but my connections to some of the women in the group who I'd known for now a long time, right? And now it's been like years. Some of those connections changed as I saw some people who were willing to have uncomfortable conversations, right? Willing to put themselves in spaces where they felt like, okay, everything I think is not right. Versus those who did want to learn something. Not that I was teaching, because I don't believe in the burden of teaching, but who wanted to take it upon themselves to learn something, to recognize where their place in the world is different from mine, you know? And it would come up in little moments for me, I write about in the book where I was, we were at in baby music class, which is ridiculous, obviously, because they were like seven weeks old. We're all on maternity leave. And one of the woman's kids rolled over, right? And anyone who is, especially a new mom of a newborn, you know, you are, you're just this raw nerve. You have no clue what you're doing. No one's teaching you, especially if you live far from family. And so you're caught, as I say, you know, I've got the apps. I know, okay, at six weeks, she should be doing this and this and all this stuff. And this other woman's baby rolled over and I'm like, oh, cool, cool. huh? You know, I wish, you know, Sally, my daughter, my older daughter, she's not there yet. She hasn't rolled over yet. And she looked at me and she said, well, you know, you can't compare them. And to me, via my black mama translator, I'm like, 
What do you mean we can't compare them? Like, my baby's amazing. What are you talking about? I have an Ivy League degree. You know, like those are the things I'm thinking because that sort of comment is so heavy with racialized context for me because I'm a black woman. I cannot remove anything from that. Right. Loaded. Yeah. But from her perspective, I'm sure she was just trying to offer me a life. Right. Like, yeah, you can't compare babies. Like, stop being a nut job. And it's like little moments like that for me would always mean something different. And that's, I think, the point you're getting to about we come to motherhood differently. And that's the story I wanted to tell in the book, because I don't think a lot of people recognize that. And it's very true. And it affects the connection that we have with one another. I think that's right. And I think white moms tend to prefer the easier story of like, well, look at us all. We're on the same journey and we're together. And I saw in some of the moms groups, two of the moms groups that I was in shut down in the wake of George Floyd's murder because the dialogue became that had suddenly been like, look, we're all on the same page. And is your baby eating solids or do you breastfeed or cloth diapers? And we all have the same struggles. Suddenly there became a really marked divide between people who were like, we don't want to talk about politics and we don't want to make this political and get into these conversations. And people white and black moms who were saying, this is a conversation that we want to have as part of our motherhood journey. And that I feel like the challenges of that, that are, they are difficult to wrap your mind around and they are difficult for people to discuss that this book, it really has a way of walking you into that experience that I think is really valuable. When we come back, I want to talk about one specific chapter with you, which is the the chapter, The Invisible Mom. I'm talking to Helena Andrews Dyer, and we'll be right back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby's skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use fresh to get 
$100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, Lumen dot me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. There's a chapter in the book that gets at a ton of issues around race and class, and I'd like to talk about the chapter in your book called The Invisible Mom and what happens to you at the playground in that chapter. Yes. And that is a chapter that I think has a lot of, there are so many people for whom that chapter has resonated on many Mm -hmm. different levels. Right. And I think, so the chapter specifically is about this playground in my neighborhood that is like the, again, one of these hot spots of convergence between race and class and all of this stuff. Like, you know, the history of the playground is that it used to be an elementary school and the neighborhood changed and the neighborhood emptied out. So then elementary school got abandoned and sat empty for years. And then they tore it down and they built this beautiful playground in its stead. And across the street is public housing. And right next to the public housing are like million dollar condos, right? So it's just, that's what's happening. Any given moment, who knows what's going on at that playground. And I was there with my husband and my mother who lived with us for a year, which was its own bag of beans and our daughter at the time. And (laughs) thoughts and prayers with you for that. Yes, yes, absolutely. And our daughter (laughs) and a white couple who I had met, I met the mom through mommy yoga, baby yoga. And it was this incident where there was a little boy, a little black boy there who was unattended. He was there by himself and he was like harassing this other little girl, this little white girl. And it wasn't like good, clean fun. He was cutting up. He was acting a fool. And so we, as the only black parents there, which happens now, which is so crazy about this neighborhood, we how much it's changed that we would be the only black people at this playground, right? The only black parents there. So we kind of step in, my husband and I step in, he's trying to like, Hey, you know, my man, calm down. Like, you know, stop harassing this little girl, you know, he's trying to like, just diffuse the situation. And so finally the little girl, and she was there with her dad, who I call band dad. Cause he had on this like esoteric rock band tee. My husband might be band dad. Right. And it's so funny. I talked to a friend of mine about this yesterday and he was like, that could have <laughs> been me. Like that could have been me. It wasn't cause yeah. he's great, but it was definitely his type. And so as he's leaving the playground, he sort of like puts his arm around my husband and I sort of like conspiratorially. And we're like, oh, what's this guy going to say? And he's like, hey, you know, if you want to give me your number, I give you my information. And we're like, mm, what's happening now? And he's like, yo, there's all these programs in the city where kids can get free bikes. It seems that he really wants a bike. There are, you know, all these things that could help you guys get him a bike. And we're looking at him like, what? does he think this is our son? Right. And I said to him, cause I have zero filter. I'm just like, this isn't my freaking kid, you know? And he sort of stops and sort of finally takes my husband and I and our mother and our kid with her, you know, Montessori wooden toys or whatever. And it's like, Oh, he sees us finally. And obviously he's mortified and he just like runs away. Right. With his daughter. And we're just sitting there with the weight of that. Like, what does that mean for us that, you know, he can't see us quote unquote, But I don't want him separating us from this little boy, right? I never want that. I was, you know, the unattended kid at the playground. Like, you know, but at the same time, if my husband and I, we have fought to be these, you know, upstanding, upper middle class black folks, but he doesn't even see that. He just sees black people, right? There's race and class conflate in this way that becomes impossible to separate. And it was just one of those moments. And those moments happen all the time at that one freaking playground where we just thought this is, it's different for us. 
You know, the things that we think about are different for us. How you view my child is different. So all of that kind of came together in that moment. And I go on to say in that chapter, not to give it all away, I had a different moment like that and that same playground, but just among Black people that gave me a different thought process as well. And so I ask a lot of questions in the book and specific, and you know, I don't have easy answers. Like, I don't know, I've only been doing this five years. I have no idea. But they were questions that I don't think I ever asked myself before about who I am, where I belong and how I want other people to see me. And yeah, that chapter sort of crystallized that thought process, which I'm continuing today, but that crystallized it for me. We have a lot of authors on the podcast who are coming with answers, right? Like this is the way to incorporate sports into your life without getting crazy. This is how (laughs) French babies eat. And if your baby eats like this, they will eat crab at midnight and never complain. You know, people who are coming in with a very specific thesis and an answer that they have formulated over time. This book is really a seeking book. It's a book about looking for those answers and documenting your own experience. And I think what's interesting is it changed my mind about the idea of like, motherhood as this universal experience versus motherhood as an experience that forces us into communion in a way that I think is a little bit gone from our lives. I mean, when you live in an urban setting, you end up on the subway, you end up at maybe movie theaters, and there's people from all over. But it struck me that in reading this book, that motherhood is a very unique thing that you do have this commonality with really different people, but that what that brings up can be complicated and it leads to a lot of questions. Did you set out in writing the book to say, like, what are the answers to these questions? Or did you set out just seeking and thinking, like, where is this story taking me? Yeah, describing it as a seeking book, I have never used that term, but it is completely correct and apt because that is what I was trying to do, right? As these questions were popping up, I'm like, oh, well, that was weird. Like, you know, oh, I, that icky feeling I just felt where'd that come from? You know, and it was stuff that we never talk about in mixed company, right? Some of these things are things I will talk about with my black mom friends that I wouldn't talk about with other moms or vice versa. And I wanted to lay it more bare and out for people. And like you say, I think what I've learned through the process of writing the book is that motherhood has this great potential to connect right? Connect us, right? Parenthood in general, but like, let's talk about moms. Because if one person asked me in a, at a book talk, she's like, well, where are the dads? I was like, girl, the dads aren't on Facebook. The dads are not in these Facebook groups. Like that is not what they're doing. <laughs> you know, he's, he's very involved. Well, I heard you on an interview and someone was asking like, where is your husband on the, you know, and your husband is not seeking as much. I mean, it is somehow the nature of motherhood to be like, the where does it all fit? I mean, there is something interesting about dads and moms. I don't want to go down a gender rabbit hole because we'll hear about it on Facebook. But <laughs> that sense of seeking and trying to make it work out, there is something that, that the moms are doing a lot of that. Yes. Way. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, yeah, we will go down a deep rabbit hole in that. So I will just say, like, <laughs> the motherhood identity is one, I think, that can connect, but only can, can truly connect, right? Because there's always this question, like the question they ask in the book and PR materials, like, can black moms and white moms be friends? And it's like, okay, yeah. But it's like moms across any divide, right? And I think what I 
learned is that we can, but only if we have the patience to truly want to connect on a real level, right? Because, you know, you got your park friend, your farmer's market friend, the school friend, like, you know, those quote unquote mom friends. It's always this weird like disclaimer, like a distance between you and the actual friend. No, she's my mom friend, not just my friend, my mom friend. And like, when can you cross the mom part out and really get close? And I think across lines, and we all have these cultural barriers and walls, whether cultural, racial, you know, political, all of those things, socioeconomic, it only works if you actually want to get to know the real human being. And how do you get to know the real human being if you see them, if you see them truly, right? And you can't see someone truly if you say something stupid, like, I don't see color. Like, you cannot see someone truly if they tell you, oh, I was made really uncomfortable by this. And you were just like, oh, well, she didn't mean it like that. You cannot see someone truly if you deny them in that way. And so... That at the end of the book, when I talk about, you know, like you say, when there are so many mom groups that have imploded under the weight of these larger conversations because they're like, oh, well, that doesn't belong here. And I was like, of course it does. We're raising children, right? Of course it belongs here. That's another thing that I think about constantly is that I am raising, I'm very clear about the fact that I'm raising two Black daughters. Like my daughters are Black. Their Black identity is important to me. It's not important to all Black parents. It's very important to me because I know that's how the world sees them, Right. And I want them to, one, be ready to defend it and also realize how magical and wonderful it is. I love being Black. They should love being Black. All of that. But I don't think there are certain parents and moms that I have encountered who are raising white children, but don't think they're raising white children, right? They just think they're raising kids. But as we sit and talk about these interactions as moms of color, we talk about all the microaggressions our kids have received at three, four, five. And the other parents say, oh, I don't know where they get it from. I don't know what happened. Like, I don't know where she's. And it's like, she's getting it from you because you're raising a white child and you don't realize it. We think about those things when we're thinking about deprogramming our daughters in terms of patriarchy. But we don't think about it in terms of deprogramming all of our children when it comes to racial oppression. And so, I mean, that's like a deeper thing. Like those were the questions I was thinking about and still don't have the answers to. But I'm constantly asking myself those questions when it comes to like, any interaction I have with my kids, other people's kids, and other adults, other parents. We are talking to Helena Andrews Dyer, and we'll be right back. Amy, when I'm dehydrated, I get headaches. I get cranky, and I don't feel good in general. Also, I am dehydrated a lot of the time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because being good with the water bottle is one thing, but getting that sodium and potassium with the fluids, turns out that is the key to saying optimally hydrated. So whether you're looking to hydrate during your workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. Each box has 16 little stick packs that you can take on the go, whether you're headed to an exercise class, a night out with friends, or a podcasting conference. And did we mention they come in delicious flavors from raspberry lemonade to cherry pomegranate. Stay hydrated with Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes. Visit sportsresearch.com and use the code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H dot com, sportsresearch.com and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate Electrolytes order. So I have been taking my Nutrafol regularly, and oh my goodness, it works. Friends, I'm here to say, 
Ditto. It works. I mean, most of us will experience hair thinning at some point in our lives. And yes, it's perfectly normal. But if you also see your part getting a little wider, join the over 1 million people who are doing something about it with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. Nutrafol has multiple formulas that are tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow based on your age, your lifestyle factors, because a one-size-fits-all approach to hair products isn't practical. Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth by targeting key root causes of thinning like stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism. So take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code LAUGHING. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code LAUGHING. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code LAUGHING. I want to drill down on something that you talked about earlier that is something that I think is also uh, confusing sometimes. The idea of the emotional labor and looking to Black mom friends to be the person who helps us understand racism. And our, we have a sister podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by a Black mom. And she talks about an incident that happened where she was mistaken for the nanny and it happened more than once. And the idea was then, well, we'd like you to do a program on how we can be less racist. But I think this idea of, well, on the one hand, well, I want to be right and I want to be the right person and be helpful. But at the same time, it's not really your job to explain to me how to be any sort of person, a better person, a different person. What is the role that plays for you in this world of interacting in this mom group and how do you handle it? I think for me, what I realized, and here's the thing, I've grown up in so many different spaces and places in my life. I was raised by a hippie lesbian woman. We lived for a time on an island called Catalina off the coast of Southern California, where I was the only black child on the whole island. I went to public school in South LA for a little while. Then I went to private school downtown Ivy Lake. So like I have existed in so many different spheres. And what I've learned in my 42, almost 42 years is that I bring my whole self to everything, right? I don't always feel, and I talk about this in the book, sort of like the trust divide, right? And women of color, parents of color, don't always feel comfortable just, you know, breaking down this wall between them and other people for a myriad of obvious reasons. But, so I don't, not always comfortable. I'm not always going to give you all of me, but I do come as my truest self, right? My most authentic self. And that for me is as much work as I'll do, right? I just get to be my full self. So I'll talk about things that maybe I wouldn't have talked about in mixed company among other people, right? I'll talk about the fact that, yeah, no, I'll talk about that labor, right? I'll talk about the fact that, yes, the girls, I want them in ballet, but the teacher has to be black. That's it. The teacher has to be black. And not only does the teacher have to be black, I want there to be other black girls in the ballet class. Right. I'll talk about the fact that like, oh, OK, well, I, you know, I got to go take Sally to get her hair braided by Miss Etienne, her daycare professional, because she's got this 
beautiful cloud of hair that I can't deal with. Otherwise, it'll take me two hours every morning to do her hair. You know, like little things, I think, that talk that display the extra labor that we're doing without me having to, you know, I'm not going to give a PowerPoint on it. But if I come as myself and explain that as a person of color, as a mother of color, and not just explain it, just like lay it out, I think it helps. And again, like I talked about the patience, those who have the patience to actually want to connect and understand, like they'll just exist in that space and they'll be like, oh, okay, I get it. Right. You know, like they'll just be there with you. And those are your true friends. And not everybody's a true friend. Some people are just, uh, you know, in front of school pickup friend. I talked to you for five minutes and then goodbye. And I think that invisible labor that parents of color are constantly doing, constantly thinking about, okay, what, you know, if I send her to this summer camp, that's like way up in Chevy Chase, when there not be enough black kids, will she feel weird? Like all of this stuff that we're constantly going through in our minds, we don't necessarily always say it and talk about it. And I have just been more, I think, in my quest to make sure that my daughters always feel comfortable in every space they're in. And part of that being, I want to make sure that the parents of the children that they're around understand difference, right? Is that I just say the thing, right? I don't have to explain the thing. I don't have to then, we don't have to have a meeting or a coffee about it afterwards, but I'm going to say the thing. And you see the people who are responsive to it, you know, and you see those who aren't. What really struck me about this book is that there's a challenge to what myself as a white mom and probably a lot of white moms define as the default of motherhood. And it's something that we realized on the podcast pretty quickly in doing the podcast that we often have guests because we get pitches from them. And after a year, we kind of said, okay, it's been a year, we're just pulling pitches that come through our you know, email inbox. And we haven't had a black mom on the podcast yet. There are so few books being written about black moms, A, about the experience of being a black mom, but also just motherhood books. Like this is how to X, Y, Z as a mom. And that for, I feel like this book captures, and it's a funny and kind of open-hearted way to experience this idea of challenging what default motherhood looks like to you and the role that that may be playing in keeping your world smaller and looking for more opportunities to open that world up a little bit. Absolutely. That's a great way of putting it. And I think, again, like I say, once you realize, you realize that you do have a default setting, right? And that your world could be made smaller because of that. It is being made smaller because of that. I think you also realize that is a world your child sees. Mm. Exactly. That's the world your child sees, right? I talk about in the book about us talking about race with our kids and these parents were just like, well, I don't know what's happening. They see the world that you've created for them. They see it. You might say all of these things. You might have a yard sign about in this house, X, Y, and Z, but your kid sees the fact that you don't have any black friends. Your kid sees the fact that all the extracurricular activities they do, there aren't any kids of color. They see the world you've created for them. And why I like this book as that seeking book is that I'm uncomfortable as a mom just being around humans, as I said. Like, if I could live online, <laughs> I'm great with that. Like, I like people, but I don't want to go out and meet new people. But I think that the phase where this is difficult and that we we as moms, the Amy types of moms, it's like there's a book that will tell you how to do this correctly. There's a book that will say, like make black friends in five easy steps or whatever it happens to be like that experience we're kind of seeking from the bookstore. But that what this 
book gets at is that it's complicated for everybody and it's complicated in a number of layered ways. And just trying to bring our full selves into the experience of motherhood is scary, but a net positive. I would absolutely agree. And I think to your point that it's layered for everybody. Everybody's trying to figure out how to, one, be out in the world and make friends because making friends as an adult is awkward and weird. But beyond that, to make sure that what they're modeling, for me, what they're modeling in their lives is what is are the ideals that they want their kids to have. You know, even in our, my black, I have many black mom groups. I'm a mom group evangelist. I just want to put that out there. And I'm in like a zillion different WhatsApps <laughs> and, you know, group me's and text chains. All right. Come join. You have to promise to join the What Fresh Hell podcast group, mom's group, because they roll in there. Absolutely. Like literally, I am a mom group's evangelist and I have a group of just black mom friends and even within that group, there's such difference, right, of what a family looks like. Just recently, one of my good friends in that group is a Black woman who is married to another Black woman. And she wrote us and was like, hey, can you guys make sure you're talking to the kids about the fact that families look different? Because they were going through something with their daughter where she, even though they had given her all the tools, they've done, you know, all the stuff, she was having trouble articulating it because she is five on the playground to other kids, Right that she had two moms and they're married. And so she was talking to us about it. And she was like, you know, make sure you talk to your kids. And we're like, yes, bet, you know, let's do it. We're, we're doing this. Like, and of course the first thing one person asked was like, what books do you think will be helpful about this? Cause we're all <laughs> type A DC moms and we want to know the books. But at the same time, it's about, you know, when my daughter asked the question, like, Oh, where is Taya's dad? I'm just like, well, Taya, has two moms, two moms who are married. Like, I don't like run away from the question or think just her asking me that is somehow in and of itself like homophobic, right? No, we're going to talk about it. We were listening to NPR one day and Imani Perry was talking about like not wanting to teach her sons about like white supremacy. And I didn't think Sally was paying attention. She said to me, she was like, well, Brian's white and I like him. He's a good person. And I was like, all right, let's, we're doing this. Let's go. Four-year-old, like, let's talk about it. Yes, Brian is a good person. Like, you know, it's having those conversations and also pulling those people into your circle so that your kid sees like, oh yeah, what mom says is what she does. And this is how my life should be. These are the things, these are the values that my mother not only says, but she lives through. And I think, and that's constant for me, you know, in my 42 years, I'm having to like think about all of this stuff all the time because they're, I've got like these little creepos who are like watching every <laughs> single thing I do. Yes. But, you know, and in the end, obviously, that's the goal, right? Is to raise these kids better than, better than me. So, yeah. It's the goal and the challenge because we say all the time on the podcast because people want the magic box that you open and like, <laughs> then you're freed from racism or you open the magic box and inside it is good eating habits. And that unfortunately, the reality that we always come to on the podcast is your kids are going to come out pretty much just like you. You're They're going to learn <laughs> how to be from the way you are. And I wish there was a magic box that you could go to that every answer about how to be a parent is in. But I think that what this book gets at so well is 
this is a practice of how you move through the world with other people and an exploration from maybe someone else's point of view from your own about what that's like. And that's the kind of stuff that I like trying to put in my own path and put in our listeners path to say like, hey, this will actually help you be a better person and a better parent by just listening to this person's point of view. And so I could not recommend this book more highly. Helena Andrews Dyer is the author of The Mamas, What I Learned About Kids, Class, and Race from Moms Not Like Me. We like to ask this question, where can you find the book? I feel like people in 2022 know how to get books, but where can people find you, find more of your writing, and find your book? Well, I am on Facebook. It's so funny. Someone's like, what's your preferred media platform? I was like, Facebook. And they're like, what? What are you, 60? Yes, <laughs> Facebook, uh, Helena Andrews Dyer. We have an expression on the podcast, which is oldie locks alert. And I'm afraid you get an oldie locks alert for Facebook because it's definitely not where the kids are at. <laughs> no, I absolutely do. But I love Facebook. I'm also on Instagram, Helena underscore Andrews, Twitter, Helena underscore Andrews. I am a, a culture reporter for the Washington Post. You can always find my work there and you can buy the book wherever fine books are sold. I always suggest people go to their local indie bookstore, their local BIPOC owned indie bookstore, but you can get the book everywhere. And then I also read the audiobook. So if and listening to books is also reading, don't let people tell you it's not. And I read the audiobook. Awesome. We will link to all of those places and we will have it in our bookshop.org shop that supports indie booksellers. And thank you so much for joining me today. This was an awesome conversation. Thank you so much, Margaret. Thank you for having me. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact invented. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. 
And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it.